Chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Join me in prayer, please. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. O Lord, we thank you. Lord, for calling us out of our beds, Lord, calling us into worship. Lord, we thank you for the worship that we have had so far this morning in our teaching, Lord, and in our singing and in our liturgy. Lord, we thank you for the worship that we are continuing in, Lord, by opening your word and hearing it read and discussing it with one another, Lord, and hearing it proclaimed. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Christ. We thank you. Lord Jesus, for what you have done for us. We thank you, Father, for ordaining it. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for living in us, Lord, and being among us. And we pray, Lord, that you would move among us this morning as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, today I would like for us to continue uh, to build upon what we established last week as we began to look at the book of Revelation. Uh, So if you will permit me a moment, I want to say a very, very quick word by way of review only to help us as we dig into these verses this morning. So first, among all things that the book of Revelation is said to be about, in our text from last week, we concluded that ultimately the book itself concerns itself with the fact that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped and glorified and praised as God. And we also saw in chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, that by his bodily resurrection from the dead, the Lord Jesus has now given his people a new identity with a two-part vocation. The church is a kingdom, the church is a nation, but the church is also a nation made up of priests. As a kingdom, we have Christ as our king. As a nation of priests, we have Christ as our great high priest, with each and every believer serving as priests under his authority. But secondly, we also made note of the fact that John frames this whole book as a doxology, as a song, as a hymn of praise. Our text for this week is bathed in the language of doxology. But particularly what we see within these few verses is how this doxology is directed specifically at the worthiness of Jesus because of his redemptive work because of his bodily crucifixion and because of his bodily resurrection. So as the church, we, we are in the season of Eastertide. We're in that season, that 50-day period from Resurrection Sunday to Pentecost, 
where we constantly celebrate the joyful feast of the resurrection of Christ. And because we are in Easter, the revelation to John is really the most appropriate work to aid us in framing our celebration of the resurrected Christ, especially as we consider more closely how Jesus is worthy to be worshipped as God. So like last week, I just want to make our way through these four short verses and consider this doxology that is the book of Revelation. So beginning here first in verse 11, what we have really, we have a setting of this doxology. Now, while our text for this morning in in our bulletins, it comes at the very, very end of chapter 5, but it's helpful for us to note that we're actually coming in at the tail end of a very pivotal moment within this book. Chapters 4 and 5 really offer us the setting of the book of Revelation, and in many ways it actually offers us the drama of what's about to unfold throughout the rest of the book. In a very real way, you could probably conclude that every event that occurs in Revelation occurs within the context of chapters 4 and 5. Chapters 4 and 5 kind of offer us the big picture. They offer us the meta-narrative, if you will, of the book of Revelation, and everything else unfolds underneath this setting. So John's descriptions in chapter 4 really helps to set up what we're seeing here at the end of chapter 5. He sees a throne in chapter 4. He sees a throne in heaven on which the Lord God is seated. And then around the throne of God, he sees 24 additional thrones, where upon those thrones are seated 24 elders. And then on each side of the throne of God, there are four living creatures that are seated around the throne of God. In some way, we can almost understand that these creatures might even be a little closer to the throne than the 24 thrones that are around it. And so as he moves through chapter 4, we see that these living creatures and that these 24 elders, they are constantly offering worship and praise to God. And then he gets into chapter 5. And we see there at the beginning of chapter 5 that contained within the right hand of God is a scroll. And on that scroll, there are seven seals. And so an angel asks, he asks if anyone is worthy in all creation, in all of heaven, to break these seals and to open this scroll in the hand of God. And John, we see he starts to weep because there's no one worthy except the lion of the tribe of Judah, except the lamb who was slain. And so it's in this context that we then come toward the end of chapter 5 and we see what is framing this doxology that starts to take place starting in verse 11. And so by the time we come to this verse, we see that the living creatures and the 24 elders, they're now being joined by another group. Now, whether or not they were present before, which I think they were, but John just couldn't perceive them at this moment, but whether or not they were there before is not really the point. That's not what matters. What matters is what's contained within this setting that John lays out now in verse 11, which is this. Again, he says, then I looked. He's heard the worship of the elders. He's heard the worship of the living creatures. The lamb and the the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. And so now he looks around and he hears around the throne of God, and he hears around the living creatures in their worship, and he hears around the elders in their worship the voice of many angels. So many angels that he calls them myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. He's saying they're innumerable. There's so many, I can't count them. But remember from last week, John isn't unfamiliar with the significance and the symbolism that Numbers takes within Scripture. Not the book of Numbers, although it is important within Scripture, but numerical numbers. So last week we saw how the number seven is very symbolic of something that is complete and something that is full. We saw in chapter one that there were seven spirits around the throne of God and how 
in verse 4 there in chapter 1, we saw that that really indicates to us the fullness and the divinity of the Holy Spirit as God. But something similar is starting to happen here in chapter 5, verse 11. Except this time it's not the number 7. It's the number 3. Notice here, John, he now sees three sets of worshipers that are surrounding the throne of God. He sees the 24 elders as one set. He sees the four living creatures as another. And now he sees a set of myriads of myriads or thousands upon thousands of angels. But also keep in mind that John's vision is not new within the scriptures. The setting of his vision that he's seeing here in Revelation 4 is very similar to every other vision of the heavenly throne room that we see throughout the scriptures. We see this in Isaiah, we see it in Ezekiel, and we also see it in Daniel. So just taking Daniel 7 as an example, in chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, Daniel sees this. He says, And I looked, and thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. And his throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. And a stream of fire issued... And came out from before him, and thousands and a thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And so we come here to verse 11, and we see this number three in Scripture. Like the number seven, it has multiple meanings. It can mean harmony. It can mean new life. But kind of like the number seven, it can also mean fullness or completeness. And so when we think of the number three, especially as we come to the scriptures, we think of things like the Trinity. Or we think of Jesus' three days in the tomb. Or even a repetition in scripture, right? Things are repeated three times in scripture in order to stress its significance. Something, I don't know, like maybe Revelation 4, chapter, uh, chapter, Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, where the, where the, uh, the living creatures proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? You get the point. So let's take this new information, this information of the number three, and apply it to this thesis, this understanding that Revelation is a work about the majesty and the worship of Christ and his worthiness to be worshipped as God. If Jesus is worthy to be worshipped as God, then the one question that remains for us to answer is why? Why is Jesus worthy to be worshipped as God? Now, all of us in the room are Christians, so we obviously believe this, but, but the world asks us this question. Why do you worship Jesus as God? Why is he worthy of our doxology? These three sets of worshipers in verse 11 really help to begin to answer that question simply by their number. Because their number points to the completeness of Christ. To the harmony of Christ with God the Father and God the Spirit. Their number points to the divinity of the Lord Jesus. As much as the number seven points to the fullness and the divinity of the Holy Spirit in chapter 1 verse 4. And so very interestingly, what John does here, there seems to be in this vision, he sees there seems to be an antiphonal, a back and forth characteristic to the doxology that he witnesses here at the end of chapter 5. Verse 12 offers us really an opening proclamation. And then in response in verse 11, we see a responding proclamation. And then verse 14, we get a concluding affirmation. And so just look at, let's just look at each of those and then we'll come to the table. So first, we see this opening proclamation. In verse 13, listen again to what this chorus of innumerable angels proclaim about the Lord Jesus. They say this. So he sees the myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
There's two really interesting things in this verse to note. First is how the verse begins. John writes, he says that this chorus of angels say, and they say with a loud voice. Now, to take a moment, let's take a moment and just really try to grasp what's going on here. Because I think this really adds depth to the doxology that they're proclaiming. I'm going to butcher this Greek word. So there's a Greek word for the word say that John uses here, and it's the word lego, if I'm not mistaken, like the toy, right? All right, I'm getting a thumbs up from our Greek guy in the room. So, so it's the word lego, right? So the one that your kid leaves out, you step on, and it hurts your feet, right? Those things. But the word, like the ESV has in our bulletin, that's best, tra- it's best translated as the word to say or to tell. But let's take the context of what's happening in chapters 4 and 5, this idea of worship and doxology. Because this is a setting for the whole book. This is a drama. It's clear that this isn't just a simple matter of one group just speaking a comment to another group. right? So we follow it up. John says they are saying, but what are they saying? They're saying with a loud voice. They're shouting. Basically, they're singing. This is a doxology coming from these myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels. This isn't a polite conversation back and forth between these two groups. This is worship. This is heavenly worship, not just your normal everyday kind of worship. This is heavenly worship. And this tells us something very significant about the kind of worship and the character of heavenly worship. Worship in heaven is not subdued. It's loud and it's celebratory. Now, let's be honest with one another, at least myself, right? This, this idea of being loud and celebratory in worship goes against really every fiber of our Puritan DNA, right? I mean, we were settled by Puritans. Our, our denominational heritage is Puritan for the most part, so we have a lot more going on there, but, but very basically, right? But it goes against our Puritan DNA. For us, reverence equals being quiet, right? Keep your mouth shut and listen and be quiet and reverent, right? We, we want to do this, especially for loud children, right? My brother was a rambunctious kid, and he wanted to crawl into the pews during service, and so, you know, he'd get popped on the leg and told to be quiet and sit still. That's how we'd be reverent. And as a liturgical church who intentionally lives within the seasons of the Christian year, we would all readily admit that there are absolutely times of the year for silence and for contemplation. That's, That's part of the spiritual disciplines that we undertake. But we also know that there are times for exuberant and loud worship. And without bouncing all over the Bible... To give us example after example, just, just back up in your bulletins to Psalm 30 that Matt read for us a few minutes ago. And look at, look at this psalm. Look exactly at what the psalmist is writing. Now, this psalm is very Christological in its meaning. There, you can find Jesus bleeding from every verse of this psalm. But consider how this psalm is also a loud song of worship from the church. The psalmist writes, he says, I will extol you, O Lord. I will praise you enthusiastically. You have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. Oh, Yahweh, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. Oh, Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. We can immediately see again how this psalm points to the Lord Jesus, but also consider how by the bodily resurrection of Christ, the Lord has also drawn us up out of the pit. The Lord has healed us. When we called out to him, he's healed us of sin and of death. The Lord has not allowed our enemies of hell and Satan and death to triumph and rejoice over us. This worship 
In Revelation 5.13 and in Psalm 30, this is worship of Eastertide. This is resurrection worship. For the church of God to proclaim with a loud and enthusiastic and resounding voice that worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered. Worthy is the Christ who has been risen. Worthy is He to receive our worship and our praise. But also notice here that not that the angelic chorus is loudly worshiping, but notice exactly what they're saying. Because their content actually speaks volumes about their worship too. They say this. They say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. He's worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now let me point out really two things under this because we can see really, we, we could spend a lot of time if we really wanted to and we're not going to, but we could spend a lot of time on Every little virtue that they list here, because these aren't really little virtues, but we can see how Christ is worthy to receive each and every one of them. But for the purposes of stressing really the doxological nature of the book of Revelation, let's just turn our attention instead to the fact that this angelic chorus lists seven particular virtues. While each virtue points to the kingship of Christ, remember that these virtues also point to his divinity. And remember also that the number seven is a number that signifies, again, completeness or fullness within the scriptures. So here, as the angelic chorus is proclaiming these kingly virtues, they are also loudly and enthusiastically proclaiming the Lord Jesus as God. They're proclaiming him as worthy to be worshiped as God. But their worship also really points to why they are proclaiming this which really helps us even more to answer that question. Why do we worship Jesus as God? He's worthy because of his redemptive work. They're singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Just back up, if you've got your Bibles open, back up to verses 9 and 10 of this chapter. Listen to what the worship that goes on here. It says, and they sang a new song saying, there it is in Greek again, saying that lego, but they sang a new song. Worthy are you, lamb and lion, to take the scroll and to open up its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and nation and people, tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The lamb is worthy to receive this worship and these virtues in the same way that the Father and the Spirit are worthy to receive the same kind of worship and praise. And the more that heaven sings, the more the doxology is extended as they search for really adequate language to properly worship Christ as the Lamb who was slain. He is worthy to receive these attributes because the entirety of creation owes him their gratitude for his work of redemption. But let's move into this responding proclamation of verse 13. That's the opening proclamation. Look at the response that comes out of heaven. We see there in verse 13. John says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So like the heavenly chorus in verse 12, there really are, there's really a couple of interesting things to note here as we understand this doxology. First, notice, notice exactly who is offering worship and praise to God and to Christ in this chapter. 
or in this verse. John, John is not just hearing the angelic chorus. So now this is every creature in heaven. But also, this is every single creature in the entire universe that are offering worship to God and to, and to the Lamb. So it's not just angels, not just the living creatures around the throne, not just the 24 elders, but every animal we see here, every fish, every snail, every man, woman, and child that has ever lived. And this detail is important for our understanding of the worthiness of Christ for two particular reasons. First, consider this responding proclamation in light of what we saw last week in chapter 1. Every eye will see Christ from every tribe. All the tribes of the earth will see Christ. And here we see in this verse that all humanity joins in the proclamation that the Lamb was slain in order to ransom a people from every tribe and every nation and every language. But this other reason that takes this proclamation even deeper, did, did you notice all the creatures that John lists here? He says, And I heard in heaven, and I heard, and I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, but also, and under the earth. He stresses that every creature under the earth also gives praise and glory to Christ. And I think what John is stressing for us here is really the universality of the right worship of God and of Christ, which includes both the redeemed and for a brief time the lost, both the living and the dead, angel and demon for that matter. Because as John recorded this vision, he was still living in a time where he very much understood that the enemies of God were still active and were still very resistant to the worship of the Lamb. It's still the same case today in our own time. But the victory of the cross and the bodily resurrection of Christ has made a decisive difference for all of creation. And regardless, and this is the point I think he's getting at, regardless of whether or not someone desires to offer worship to Christ, the victory of the cross and the resurrection of the Lamb guarantees that they will worship him regardless of their desires to do so. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, he says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They will worship regardless of their desire to. But know specifically what is contained within this responding proclamation. In verse 13, he says again, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Again, they list some virtues here, and we won't look at each of them in, in turn, but if the definition of worship... Just a basic definition of worship is to, is to offer adoration and reverence to a deity. And if what we are seeing through this book is right and proper worship, then we understand that right and proper worship, that, that every creature should worship and honor God because he is our creator and our sustainer. But it is also appropriate that every creature should offer worship to the Lord Jesus because of his work of redemption. A work that extends to every part of humanity, to every tribe, to every nation, to every language. And notice again that he uses the same word for saying here in verse 13 that he did in verse 12. This is not quiet worship. It's not subdued. It's loud and it's enthusiastic. And like we did in verse 12, consider this worship within the scope of, of Psalm 30 that Matt read a few minutes ago. In verse 4 we see, sing praises to you. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. He tells us sing and sing loudly because the lamb has been slain and because the lamb has been raised. 
And the Lamb has ransomed you, O sinner, from your sin and death. And the Lamb is worthy to be praised and to be worshipped. And then, but finally, we come, we come to verse 14. And we see this, where we see the four living creatures who are seated around the throne of God and the 24 elders who were seated on their 24 thrones, they offer a concluding affirmation to the doxology that we've just heard from the myriads of angels and from every creature in the universe. And we read this. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And really this use of the word Amen, there's, it's a fitting conclusion to any worship of the Lord God because the four living creatures, they're just simply left with nothing else to do other than to offer a word of, of affirmation towards this heavenly worship. And that's really what Amen does. It's, it's a word that means truly or so be it or even trustworthy. It's, it's a word of finality. It kind of adds a stamp at the end of everything. And this tells us a lot about the worship of this heavenly chorus and the entirety of creation from verse 13. It's worship that is true of the creator God, and it's worship that is true of the sustainer God, and it's worship that is true of the redeemer God, who is worthy and deserving of our worship and our praise. All that is left to say is amen, which is why we see at the end of the verse, all that the 24 elders are left with is to just simply fall down on their faces and to worship the triune Godhead who is worthy of this worship and this praise. So I want to, I want to close quickly with just a, a quote from Andrew, who was a bishop in, in Caesarea in the late 6th century. He says this. He wrote, Through all of these, so through the creatures, through the elders, through the entirety of the heavenly host, he says, through all of these, one flock and one church from angels and from men is indicated, which has been formed through Christ. And so with the four living creatures and the 24 elders who represent the fullness of those who are being saved are worthy of the hymn and the worship of our God, of which we may also be found worthy in Christ himself, the giver of peace and our God, with whom together with the Father and the Holy Spirit be glory and might forever and ever. Amen. The true, if the heart of true worship to God is declaring how majestic he is and how great his works are, then let's just narrow this down to our focus here at Christ Community Church in Jackson, Tennessee at 11.23 in the morning on May the 1st, 2022, because it's already May. Where we are celebrating the season of Eastertide. Let's narrow it, that focus down. And for us, this means for us joining in with the chorus of, the heaven, of, the hev- of heaven as they proclaim the redemptive work of Christ in his bodily resurrection. To ransom a people for God from every tribe and every nation and every tongue in order that we might take up our vocation as a kingdom of priests to God. So to him who sits on the throne... And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen.